This episode is brought to you by the Metasearch Institute. What happens when patients' cases become too complex to solve in a typical 30-minute visit? Well, you've all had those super thick, super deep patient histories nobody's looked at in a long time and gone back through. Well, I'll tell you what happens is those patients bounce around from doc to doc without getting any answers or making any progress. These patients are trapped and lost in a maze. Well, Metasearch is here for those doctors and for those patients. Their motto is, we solve the unsolvable. Their process is rather simple. Dr. Trent Talbot, the founder, assigns a team of medical detectives, typically three MDs and one PhD, to each case. They research the latest breakthroughs and clinical trials, and they elicit the opinions of 10 to 15 world-leading experts per case. They purposefully seek out experts who will come at each case from a different perspective, the Bainesian method. Altogether, they will put in over 250 MD hours for every case. That means 500 times the amount of brain power that a typical doctor can afford to offer. Nobody can do what Metasearch does. Call 832-968-6667. That's 832-968-6667 to be in touch. You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Dr. Praveen Ajaydev is a hospitalist at Swedish American and is one of 127,000 approximately immigrant physicians who account for nearly a quarter of the country's licensed physicians. One sixth, in fact, of the nation's healthcare workforce is foreign born. And 40% of American primary care workforce today is made up of people who trained in other countries but moved here. And more than half of all people who focus on caring for older people are what's known as international medical graduates or foreign medical graduates. IMGs play a vital role in caring for some of the most vulnerable patients like the rural communities in America and the underserved Medicaid populations. And many, like Pravina, live off of H-1B visas. Talk more about that. She completed her internal medicine residency at UPMC, Pittsburgh, and uh, on a J-1 visa at the time. And currently, resident physicians from other countries are working in the U.S. on J-1 visas. And these waivers are requiring them to return home to their country after their residency has ended for two years before they can apply for another visa or green card. Now, that, if you're a Canadian doctor, none of this exists. It's a different program for everybody else. The Conrad 30 program allows these docs to remain in the U.S. without having to return home if they agree to practice in an underserved area for a few years. But it's kind of like the golden handcuffs because it's super restrictive, and I'll tell you why. Many communities, including these rural and low-income urban districts, have problems in meeting their patient care needs and depend on these docs to provide the health care. But if they need to help out with something like COVID, they're not allowed to help out. They're locked into where they are at. So she's a member of Physicians for American Healthcare Access, PAHA, which is a group that's dedicated to increasing healthcare access for the underserved communities. They advocate for legislative solutions to protect these immigrant physicians and other nurses. 
Healthcare Workforce Resiliency Act is now in front of Congress and it's legislation that would allow citizenship and immigration services to recapture up to 40,000 green cards previously authorized by Congress that haven't been used. This bill would respond to severe physician and nursing shortages by reserving 15,000 green cards for foreign-born physicians and 25,000 for foreign-born nurses. Physicians referred to on this legislation are American-trained healthcare workers but lack flexibility to serve these pandemic-changing needs. So like I said, they're not allowed to even take a shift at a hospital in other areas because they're golden handcuffed to these neighborhoods that they're supposed to be serving. So that really has hurt New York hotspots, California hotspots, Texas and Arizona hotspots. So foreign nurses, on the other hand, are often approved to come to America on employment-based green cards, but even after their app is approved, many are stuck in their home countries due to U.S. processing delays and backlogs. In fact, if you're a foreign medical graduate, you've already done a residency. If you're from India, like Pradeep, you will have to do your residency all over again, and it's a seven-year time suck, and it's also about a $60,000 process. So it's a game board. We'll put that game board on our show notes so you can see how ridiculous it is. Anyway, this act allows us a fast tracking. There's several states that are fast tracking already because this is kind of ridiculous and kind of a cumbersome nightmare from age old, you know, the 50s and 60s. So Praveena, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. This is such a big subject. Um, so let's talk for a second about Match Day because it's sort of the beginning of the game board um, for residency. Match Day, for if, if you're not familiar with it, is like draft day for professional sports. It's, it's the day that a medical student or a foreign medical graduate will learn where they are going to go do their residency. So right now, Match Day is adding about 7,000 foreign medical graduates, but that is not even close to the number that are applying to be matched, is it? No, it's it's a very huge number. I don't have the numbers, but it's definitely very, very huge and uh, very few match. And over the years, the competition has been so high that the percentage of people matching has gone down significantly. I can tell you what the number I know is pediatricians are. There's 15,000 international medical graduate pediatricians waiting to get matched but they can't, again, practice in the U.S. until they get matched and do their residency. So again, this potential fast-tracking is going to be a big deal. What happens to a doctor who is not matched and they're waiting to get matched the next year or the next year or the next year? What are they doing for an income in the meantime? So um, everything is out of pocket. It is a very uh, financially straining process we go through. Like people who have family support are lucky, like myself, I would say. My family supported me a lot during this process and some of my friends who were already in residency helped so I could stay with them and like prep for my exams and attend interviews so that I don't have to rent a place by myself. But people who do not have that support, they take loans and it takes forever to repay them back. And I personally know a person uh, who at the same time was trying to get into residency with me, but he wasn't lucky enough to get into. He tried for two years and then he decided to go back um, and settle in India and he had to uh, repay all those loans he had taken to try to get into uh, the US medical training programs. I walked into a program in near the airport in Houston. There's a doctor there who treats mostly uh, Mexican immigrants who are illegal in, in America. 
And all of his MAs and all of his nurses are foreign medical graduates from Mexico City and from other parts of Mexico. And he's paying them twenty-five to thirty-five thousand a year, which is you know an MA salary. But they're doctors; they they could practice in Mexico. I know <laughs> it is really it's a really sad situation. So that's why um, you know we have all these like reforms and like we are trying to see like U.S. healthcare needs um, doctors. It's not that we all want to come here for our personal. Uh, benefit like we want to be here because the healthcare system or whatever personal professional reasons we want to be in this country but I think there's a huge backlog for physicians it's of this so much of shortage but I don't know there's some mismatch going on somewhere that people are not addressing it at a higher level well you know it is interesting to me that um, if you were to practice as a primary care physician in India, first of all, you go to high school and medical school at the same time. It's a six-year program, and your residency is all part of that too, isn't it? It's all bundled in. Uh, no resident. No, it's um, we do have the same kind of setup. Like we do have to go. We call it post graduation over there. Here we call it residency, but it's the same thing. But it's less number of exams, and the process is shorter. I would say, like you take only one test. And based on how you do on that test and what field you want to go into, but you still go through three years of training. But even to get in that training, if you're not in the top 1% of the top 1%, it's super competitive to get into that medical high school, isn't it? Yes, very, very. Um, you either have to be in the top 1%, like you mentioned, or you have to be very uh, from a very well <laughs> wealthy family so that they can pay for it and you pay out of pocket and get into med school. That sounds familiar. Well, so, and, and by the way, it's the same in China. It's like the Olympics. If you make it to the Olympics program in China, you are the best of the best. And it's the same with doctors there. It's the same in Mexico. There's a giant weed out of Mexican, Nigerian, Filipino. We could take any country. And if you're a doctor practicing in those countries, you are the very best of the best of the students. So um, you belong here. And in most of the countries I just named, they've already done a residency there, yet we require them to do it again here, don't we? Yes, yes. Even people who have been practicing for several years, like even specialists like nephrologists um, and uh, as anesthesia, all these people, even if at this point, if they want to come, they still have to go through all the USMLE exams which we take, yeah, <laughs> they're practicing physicians, yeah, but they still have to go through all the exams and the entire process of match. So I know there are five states of a year ago, I haven't looked at the most recent numbers, but there are five states that are trying to fast track IMGs so that they can go right into practicing as long as they're with an American doctor who can teach them the road rules of American medicine. Um, do you think that that's something that will expand over time? Is that more desperate states that need more doctors are going to um, allow that? Um, to be honest, I don't know uh, because uh, we have been trying to address this issue for a very long time, but we haven't seen any change so far. We are still stuck in the same boat of visas. And unable, even after the pandemic hit, if we, they cannot address the situation at this crucial moment, I don't know when it can be addressed. Because during when the first peak of COVID happened in April, 
I wanted to sign up. I live in Chicago, so I wanted to help out at McCormick Place because the where I work at in Rockford, I only do like 18 shifts a month. So rest of the time I'm off. So I really wanted to help out over there. I filled out the entire paperwork and everything, but they came back to me and said that I cannot help because I'm on a visa. That was the only thing. So it's just unfortunate that you know, even in a situation like this, um, the visa backlog situation is not being addressed. And I don't think if, you know, in future also, it will be. It just will get harder. So you're in Rockford, Illinois. You're in a suburb of Chicago. Do you think that the plan is that if you serve an underserved community like Rockford, that you'll probably stay and live there because you get accustomed to that? Is that, the, is that what you think the federal government's head is at? They're trying to populate the uh, unpopulated um, underserved areas? Um, yeah, so we, uh, for uh, being on a J-1 visa, like you mentioned earlier, like we have to, it is mandatory for us to serve in an underserved areas for at least three years. And after that, it's up to you if you want to continue or not. But three years is compulsory. So, um, but there is um, this thing called national interest waiver, which means that if you serve five years, you are not, to file for your green card, you're not dependent on your employer you can file for it yourself so some people go beyond three years and do the five-year term so that they can they don't have to depend on the employer just for filing green card and they can switch jobs have you been frustrated working in this pandemic environment as a doctor or are you impressed what 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 is your take on what's been going on from a physician's perspective after really let's say after march when the ppe was a little more available Talking about my hospital, yes, we all have been very stressed out and frustrating, I would say. I wouldn't say impressed at all. Like, I don't think anybody else, it, it doesn't matter if we are on visa or not. Like, there in my hospital, I'm only among, one among the few who are on visa. There are a lot of citizens who work here. Uh, but everyone is equally frustrated, like, especially when we started off, um, I don't think it's like it has it's it has become better now, but it's still not ideal. I would say, like we don't uh, have N95s as much as we should be. We have more than what we had in April, but we still reuse them <laughs> every day. We don't have we don't get a new N95 mask. Uh, even though we see um, each physician is at least on their list has five to six COVID-19 patients for which we have to uh, wear the N95 mask and the entire PPE and go in. Um, but in an ideal world, we need to not use the PPE even when we go into a second patient room. We have to use a new one every single time. But we reuse our 95s for two days, three days, and wear it in everyone's room. <laughs> we could be the reason of spreading the virus too <laughs> for not changing the PPE. Yes. Well, I, I've, I've read some, this is ridiculous to even talk about on the show, but I read some hack where if you boil water and rubber band your mask to it and put a little uh, cloths in between it that you could kill the virus. You know, know. The pain, the pain, yeah, the there are a lot of, 
Yeah, they did tell us a lot of tricks. We have like all these disinfectant sprays, which we spray over our mask, but next day it smells of it and you can't breathe and all of this. So what we have been doing is have three masks. So we wear one on day one and do not use it for the next two days and use it on day three so that the virus like <laughs> dies or something. It's it's kind of sad, isn't it? It's like we're the greatest nation on earth, yet we treat our doctors like they're uh, in a coal mine. Yes, and when uh, yeah, like even in our hospital, like if we have to get an N95 mask, we have to return our old one, or like they were trying to recycle it, or I don't know what it was, but if not, we are supposed to return the first one, and then we get a new one. You know, something this serious, this massive, this sudden, is it? Um... Is it sometimes hard to refresh and get back to work the next day and get energized to uh, tackle this one more day? Yeah, I guess that is the reason we don't work 30 days a month because physician burnout is a very huge thing. And um, I think that is why our contracts are scheduled like that. Like we work 15 days to 18 days a month so that you can be away from this and spend time away from this environment and I personally like I would I you I travel a lot but even that is restricted now so um so yeah I would say like I don't think anybody can put up with this kind of stress if they work 30 days a month do you think it's going to be hard to recruit doctors to work for some hospitals that are not uh, you know giving the best resources to all the doctors uh, do you think that's going to be a factor in the decision making going forward with residents moving to uh, hospitalist positions? Um, I mean, you mean uh, not getting enough PPE, you mean? Just just not being treated with re the respect of even having yes. enough PPE, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I would definitely um, say that I think people uh, would like to go more on the outpatient setting because they can make their own rules. <laughs> You're not like, um, tied up to a hospital and you don't have to stick to their rules and like all this PPE regulations and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely see there would be, but this is not um, a situation which is happening in one state or anything. It's it's over the entire country. Are there any um, good positive chances of this bill passing so that it can move on in uh, to the Senate and ultimately be approved by the president or is it stuck in a committee? Where, where is the, what is the status of this bill? So we did have a very good response and we were very positive about it. And I would say were just because the election is coming up and everyone's sidetracked and not interested to listen to anything at the moment. But we do, we did uh, get a good support. We have 40 uh, co-sponsors from 40 senators and 76 house reps, but uh, it's not enough for the bill to pass. Uh, but we are trying to get it included in the COVID relief bill if that ever happens, because even discussion about the COVID relief bill has been ongoing for several days or weeks, I would say, but um, nothing so far. So we're trying to get it included in that because it is part of the pandemic. So the good news is that enlightened states are fast tracking in international medical graduates because they need physicians badly. 28 states have now approved nurses to basically become an MD, MD uh, with all the rights and privileges and scope of practice uh, after three years of uh, service under a doctor's uh, tutelage. So again, nurses don't have the residency doctors have, but they now have a fast track in, uh, 
and 28 states. That was 21 states, by the way, this time last year. So it's uh, to solve this, the physician shortage that we're talking about here, nurses are going to be part of that solution. I guess PAs will be part of that solution. And nothing would be smarter than to bring smart people from the best and brightest uh, from the schools that, that are, are, are the best and brightest into our workforce and get rid of a backlog. It would just be so like logical. It would just make so much sense. There's no real reason to continue to delay um, these visas and uh, to, to put them on the slow track of just basically lost opportunity. Yeah, and especially when we were trying to address this bill, it, we want we were emphasizing on the fact that this is not displacing any jobs from American citizens, because this is we are talking about physicians who are already here and already working. It's not about bringing more people into the country. So this is about just safeguarding their um, status here that they don't like if they lose a their job or they don't have to leave the country or if they can go and work in places where there is need and the visa restriction isn't there. Yes. Um, well, Praveena, what question should I have asked you that I did not ask you about international medical graduates? This is a topic I've wanted to address for so long. So glad to have you on the show talking about it. What should I be asking you that I didn't? Um, maybe like what would you do if you not get a green card and not be a citizen in the next couple of years. Yeah. Okay. I think I would leave the country and I'm already thinking really? about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because how, in how long can we live in this uncertainty? Because there are certain countries which are uh, more welcome to immigrants than us has been over the last like Canada and Australia. So uh, the citizenship over there is not that difficult. And I already know a lot of friends who moved to Canada. So I am considering that. It's a, it would be a shame to lose you, but um, everybody understands. And by the way, this is a long, this is multi, multi-parties, multi-presidents, multi-administrations that this has been a problem. This is not just this administration or last administration. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully the bill gets addressed sooner than later. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Praveena, what message should Americans hear that they don't know uh, that if you could fly a banner over the whole nation? Um, I would say like we are going through a tough time and everybody is dealing it in their own way. And uh, hopefully we get out of it stronger than ever. And good luck to everyone. Yes. So be kind, be gentle. Everybody's going through this in, in their own way and uh, yeah. less judgmentalism, more kindness. Yes. Very good. Praveena, thank you for your time. And uh, we look forward to you becoming an American as soon as possible and not losing yeah. it to thank another. Thank you so uh, much. Yeah. Okay. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye. So welcome to Just a Hospital Minute. We are adding these segments for one minute at the end of every show to tell you some of the games that hospitals play. Imaging is a commodity. You can get it done anywhere. On-site with a hospital will often be 10 to 20 times as much it will be off-site at an independent. You can contact one of our former guests, Green Imaging, if you want to find an independent imaging in your city. So if you tear your ACL or if you get a sprain, guess what you're going to be told? I can't do anything yet until the inflammation goes down. I'll see you in the morning. You're still in the hospital paying bills. That's game one. And game two is then you get your MRI at the hospital 
and there was nothing you couldn't have done on your own that was 10 times cheaper. So if you're looking out for costs, you don't want to get your MRIs or x-rays at a hospital if it can wait a day. So this is just another hospital minute. Thanks again to our sponsor, the MediSearch Institute. I want to read you a note a CEO friend of mine sent me who used them for a rare childhood disease her daughter had. Dr. Talbot's research was thorough. He provided clear paths of treatment, and he gave me access to the best physicians. I'm so grateful for his work. That's the MediSearch Institute. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.